pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept out loud, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman, and he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. You might want to notice that's really kind of noncommittal too. A lot of that going on here. Verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. I don't know what you do with that statement. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? <clears throat> Did not I serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She again conceived and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. She conceived again 
and bore a son. This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. All right, in just a moment, we're going to have a word of prayer. Let me take care of one item. You may not have seen it, but, you know, with the announcements, you may see it as it kind of rolls around through the course of the day. Remember, next Sunday being the fifth Sunday, we have our elder group breakout meetings. So we won't be doing this meeting in here with this class as such, and we won't be doing Jacob. We are going to be in I and H. I believe that's what you'll see when you look. <clears throat> so I think, I think there's a way to get in that off the hall. Um, and obviously you can get into it there, but we have a little bigger room this time, so that's uh, helpful. Um, not all of this group, so let me, let me be clear about this. My, I, my elder group, for lack of a better way to put it, the ones, those of you who know you're in my, my elder group, not everybody in this class is. I would welcome you all, but some others might be a little upset with that. <laughs> so, just so you know, wherever your class meets, look up where that's going to be, and that'll be for next Sunday. And, and we have some interesting things planned. That Sunday morning, uh, Pastor Cameron's going to be preaching on Psalm 51. So if you want to read the psalm in advance, we're going to be taking some of the time in there to deal with some um, discussion questions related to that. And um, we may or may not send those out in advance for you this week to kind of be considering them, but that's, that's what we're going to be doing, at least as I understand it. Let's have a word of prayer now. Father, thank you for the Lord's Day. We always look forward to the Lord's Day because we always look forward to the lift that we get, to the blessing that's ours in corporate worship. And we rejoice, Lord, that we're not restricted to this. We know that we can worship you every day uh, at any place and at any time. And our lives truly, Lord, should be ones of worship. But we also know that you call out corporate worship in a special way and invest it with special significance and blessing. And uh, we're here to do that today. We're here to, to obey you in that respect. And in this way and for this reason, we desire that the Holy Spirit will open our hearts even now so that even uh, our class here and then the services that will follow today and the other classes, you bless these and may we each be blessed. Lord, we come today as individuals, we know that. And none of us is above any of the lessons and admonitions that may be in the lessons that will be taught today. All of us are needy. All of us are sinners. But there may be some particular thing that you have for us today, and we would not miss that. So help us to be alert. Give us a measure of attention. I pray that you will help me in the explanation of the thoughts you've given me for today, and that the class will be a, a, a blessing and a help to people. And we'll thank you for what you do now in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, you can see that I've entitled this a bit suggestively, The Woman at the Well. And of course, uh, there is a song that we know about that, The Woman at the Well. But uh, I have done this on purpose because I really want you to think a little bit about the broader subject, not that we're going to be delving into it, but it is kind of interesting in the Bible context how many of these rather important situations went down at wells. We already know that Isaac, Jacob's father, uh, acquired his bride in this way. He wasn't there. It was Abraham's steward, Eliezer, who went on the trip. But he prayed and the Lord led and he met Rebekah there at the well, remember? 
very similar type scene. In fact, that plays into this because everybody that's involved in what we see today knows about that story, okay? That's not something a thousand years removed. So that's kind of an important point to make. Um, in point two uh, of the introduction, I mentioned another reference for you there. If you look at the end of that, Exodus chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, and I believe I have that verse for you there because this is Moses. Now, Mo Moses, he's hightailing it out of Egypt because he's killed that fellow. That didn't uh, cheer Pharaoh up too much. So he's uh, on his way out of there, and he stops at a well. This is a humorous story here because Zipporah is the woman he marries, and Jethro has seven daughters, and they come home, and Jethro says, why didn't you bring the man? <laughs> so spoken like a true father, I guess. But anyway, it makes it clear enough that uh, that's where he met his wife. And in the New Testament, in John chapter 4, Jesus didn't meet any wife there, but he sure, certainly had a very important encounter with a woman at a well, didn't he? And not just women, there are lots of other encounters that take place at wells in Bible times. Wells tend to have quite a bit of significance just because of the way um, it was in those days. I mean, water's important to us, but we take it for granted, right? You just turn on a tap. And you didn't do that, of course, in Bible days. You had to have a well. And that well that's in John chapter 4, that kind of figures prominently because Jesus asks her about a drink of water, and she said, well, you don't have anything to draw with, and the well is deep. And how many of you have had a chance to visit there? Anybody in this class? You've been to that place? The woman at the well, John 4. The well there you've been? So two of us, two of us has. It's deep. <laughs> You're not going to just dip a ladle down in there and get that. In fact, it's one of the things they take you in there and show you that, you know, drop some water down there and wait and listen until it hits the bottom. <laughs> you know, so she had a good point. She just wasn't picking up on what Jesus was talking about. So this becomes really significant, and I, I'd like to point out something that I think's worth noticing. By the way, if you're a romantic, you've come to a good chapter. I mean, if you like a little romance in the Bible, and uh, good, clean, healthy romance, this is probably a good chapter to come to. And you can see where I've sort of reflected this in a couple of the way I've, ways I've worded some of these opening points of the introduction. So it's with a spring in his step. Now, I, I didn't just come up with that off the top of my head. Well, in a way I did, because it's a, probably an excellent way to bring out the significance of the Hebrew that's in that first verse. Look at your text. And it's rather bland in what we have in verse number one. It just says, then Jacob went on his journey. But the Hebrew is literally, he lifted up his feet. And it has the idea of a newfound energy, a newfound vigor, and a newfound excitement. Now, why would he feel that way? Think about it now. Jacob is a man on a mission. Earlier, his, his mission had been a little bit overclouded by the fact that he was also hightailing it from someone, his brother Esau, like Moses was trying to get out of Pharaoh's land. But he was on another mission, right? I mean, his father said, go find a wife. You can't marry these Canaanite women if you're going to be the bearer of the covenant blessing. So 
you get on over there and you, you find a wife. So he's in the back of his mind, he's known what this is all about. And again, it's important to remember the story. He knows that's exactly where his father met his mother or got his mother as a wife. So he, you know, he's thinking about this, but he's got other thoughts on his mind. Then God appears to him. That's what we looked at last week. He has that first encounter with God, and God promises him that he's going to bless him. And he meets God for the very first time. Now, if you think about it, when you got saved, I mean, I think it's useful to look at it that way. I, I tried to sound a little note of caution last week. You do have to be careful about reading our New Testament terminology and the way we talk around church today back into some of these Old Testament contexts. But having said that, still, if we're trying to relate to this in a practical sense, I think it's helpful for us to make some of those identifications and talk about it that way. So you think about the joy and the excitement and the new look on life that you had when you were first saved. So this guy's got a spring in his step, not only because he's gotten right with God and he's met God for the first time, but God's told him some things about this mission that he's on and given him every reason to believe that God is going to bless that mission. And if a guy is 77 years old, like I told you last week, if that's the correct chronology of the thing, it's getting about time. So, at any rate, um, he meets the love of his life, and it truly was that. Folks, really, <clears throat> it won't be an exaggeration to say that this was love at first sight. Now, he, you know, he did have some mental preparation for this. He, he did sort of know why he was going there. And he also knew about his mother. Notice I give you that. This Rachel, she's every bit as beautiful as his mother was. And that, that, that's a part of the story. If you go back and you read Genesis chapter 24, verse 16, it, the Bible makes it a point to comment on the beauty of Rebecca. Now he shows up and these people say, hey, uh, you know, yeah, we know Laban and Rebecca. That's his daughter. She's coming with the sheep. And, it, you know, we got to remember, Jacob is no dummy. And so he knows all this, he knows why he's there, takes one look at her and says, wow. <laughs> so all of this is quite interesting. I'll let you play with it some. We have to keep going. In Genesis chapter 28, though, that's his first encounter with God. So another practical way I'd like for you to consider looking at this chapter, I've kind of broken it up this way, um, not using those precise terms all the way through, but first one's first encounter with God, and it's life-changing. We saw this last week. But if you're, on a, if you're a man on a mission, and that mission is finding a wife, here are a bunch more firsts that occur in his life. So you can go to this chapter, some of you that are young, and even some of the, us that are not young, you can kind of go to this chapter, and you can kind of think about, well, these occasions that occur in my life, hopefully your first marriage is your only marriage, but you know, I mean, it's not wrong to have a second marriage if the first one ended for the right reasons, and sometimes you have a second marriage, everything wasn't just hunky-dory, and I don't want to get into that. But uh, marriage, that's a big thing to encounter in life. One of the biggest things that you can encounter in life. Better get it right. <laughs> and so it's encouraging to see that Jacob is going to get it right, at least 
partially. So marriage, you're going to be married, you've got to have a job too. Ever think about that? That is something that, you know, hopefully kids figure out today. And it's wise to remember you have to have a way to pay for all this stuff and support your family. And with that comes a home. And there's a lot that you can see here. You can talk about different things with respect to the home. Well, we got to move. So we're going to talk, first of all, about Jacob and Rachel. So it, here's this opening scene. And I want to make the point here that, you know, you see, you see the divine side and the, you see the human side really in play. And I think it's important for us to point both of these out. Obviously, you see this divine encouragement that God has given him when he speaks to him back in the chapter before. But you also see Jacob is a sharp operator. And I mentioned to you before when we saw that opening scene and in Genesis chapter 25, and it talks about the fact that Jacob was quiet and all of this. And I made the mistake, or I made the, the point to say, you would make a big mistake if you mistook Jacob's quietness for weakness. He was formidable, as it becomes very clear. And so you're going to see a, a masterful, really, display of his human gifts in play. But you're also going to see God at work. And let's take a look then. So what do I mean about God's encouragement, the divine side of things? Well, it's true when you compare this story to the one in chapter 24, the one in chapter 24 just constantly brings out the thought of God's leadership. And you have that famous verse in the King James Version, I being in the way the Lord led me. And you remember how the, the, the servant, the steward prayed and said, Lord, I'm, I'm showing up at this well and let the, the girl that comes and, and, and I ask her for a drink and she gives me the water and says, I'll water your, 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 your livestock too. Oh, he's praying about all this stuff and, and God works all of that out so that he is sent to exactly the right person. That's really, you can't miss that in the chapter. You can't really miss it here. It's just that it's not quite as explicit. And uh, so how do we see it even though it's not as explicit? Well, again, you've got to remember Jacob knows this story. You're talking about his mother now and his father. You're talking about his mother's brother. So don't, let, don't lose that detail. That, and if you remember in Genesis chapter 24, when Eliezer showed up and they were negotiating over this thing, Laban was a key player in that, even though he was her brother. He wasn't her father. That was Bethuel. But he was a player in all this. So all of these people, I mean, this isn't their first rodeo with the other side of the family coming to look for a wife and meetups at the well. So here's what's going on. First of all, why is he even here? Because his dad urged him to go and get a wife. But in this encouragement that God gives him, notably verse 13 of chapter 28, and behold, the Lord stood above it, that's the staircase or the ladder, and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Well, it's kind of hard to have them without a wife. So implicit in this is what God is saying is, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to prosper the mission you're on. I'm going to provide the wife that you're, you've been sent to find. He knows this. God's already told him. 
Then think about the well. Just happenstance? You know, kind of like Ruth. Her hap was too light in the field belonging to Boaz, right? This is where we use our air quotes. It just happened. <laughs> Not really. God directed all of that as well. So he directs uh, Jacob to this place. And maybe they weren't Laban shepherds. I just called them Laban shepherds, but they were shepherds. May have been Laban shepherds. They are Laban shepherds. They certainly, certainly give some insight into why he was attracted to Jacob as his new shepherd. These guys don't seem very industrious. They're lollygagging around, looks to be noontime or maybe a little bit later than that. And uh, they must work for the government. They're on extended break. And when Jacob shows up and he says, what are you guys doing? Well, you know, we're waiting for the rest of the flocks to come. That's when we water them. Well, it's high day. You know, water them and let them go back out there and pasture some more. And then he gets kind of, hmm. You know, they're sort of lackadaisical, not really enthused. Maybe their wages weren't good, knowing Laban, if they work for him. And they not only say, yeah, we know Laban, all right, we know him. Probably knew more than that let on. But they said, and here comes Rachel. And then the Bible calls her a shepherdess. So there's no mistaking the divine side of this. God is working all of this out. But watch this. Jacob, the way he handles himself here. Now, you can blow it. Right? Um, so, fellas, you remember the first time you were going to go and meet her dad? See my wife laughing. You were nervous, weren't you? I mean, you didn't want to lay an egg. You wanted to come across well, I think, unless you were nuts. <laughs> Jacob is, you're going to gain some respect for Jacob here. Jacob, I mean, when we see him later in life, you know, he's, he's really been through the mill. But I mean, he's got this spring in his step, and, and he's got these requisite human gifts, and he puts them into full play. Nothing wrong with that. As long as you're depending on God, there's nothing wrong with using your gifts, as long as that's not all you're relying on. Man, they are here in spades. Take a look at this. I say he displays energy. So he, he kind of calls out these shepherds for being, you know, sitting around doing nothing. Behold, it is high day, it is not time, verse 7, for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, nah, nah, we don't do that until all the sheep are here. So what does that mean? It means that, I don't know, but it, it tends to mean to me that they're there with these groups that are there, and they're going to wait for everybody else to show up, whether that's the end of the day or whenever it is, but they don't plan on doing too much else by way of taking care of the sheep. So, you know, he kind of, he says to them about this. Well, then we see that he displays courtesy because, so while he's still speaking, or you could call this service. He displays uh, the fact that he's got a servant's heart. Rachel came up with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, now he already knew who she was, remember? This, those guys told him. And the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. Jacob came near and said, 
Here's the vernacular. I ain't waiting. I can move the stone. See, I'm not sure that Rachel could have, but Jacob could. It was a large stone, but he was energized. You know what I'm saying? So he moved that stone right off of there and watered her sheep, the flock of Laban, her mother's brother. And then he holds the punchline. This is the real piece of pertinent information. After he's already sort of demonstrated that he's an industrious fella, not lazy, motivated, energetic, after he's already demonstrated that he's a person of courtesy and respect, he's demonstrated that to Rachel, then he says, um, I'm your relative. And he kisses her. Now, that's just a, that's not a romantic kiss there. That's just a, a greeting type kiss. But uh, she gets all excited. But he holds that right till the very end. I mean, this is a consummate showing on Jacob's part. So I think you, <laughs> you, you can't come away from this with any less than a lot of respect for Jacob because you can blow these things. I mean, if, what if she'd gone home and said, you know, Dad, um, somebody's here from your sisters and probably looking for a wife. What do you, well, what'd you think of him? Nah, he's not so great. I doubt that was the report. So this is important. Now, we got to transition to the next encounter. So here's the point. You might have thought I took too much time on that, but I have reason for wanting to because I want to say the next thing. Guess what? All of that good impression, all of that skill, Jacob's going to need that and more dealing with the next guy because the next guy is a piece of work. Laban. So, he's going to need all of that. And so if in Rachel he meets his wife, in Laban he meets his, well, we could have just said father-in-law. But no, he meets his match. I mean, he really meets his match. And the thing of it is, remember when I took some time to point out how skilled in all of these types of ways and schemes and gifts that Rebecca was? She's the one nobody talks about back there, but she's the one that pulled off all that stuff. It was her idea. She's the one that put the skins on his hands, and she's the one that had that idea to tell Isaac, these Hittite women, we can't have that. He Send him off. She's the one that masterminds that whole thing. So it, it runs in the family. The apple doesn't fart fall too far from the tree, to use the phrase we heard about 10 times on Wednesday night. And Laban, though, is every bit her equal. Who knows which one of them is, is better at it, but <laughs> these are the kind of people you want to be on your toes. You, don't want to, you have to bring your A game. That's what I'm saying. You're going to deal with these people, you better bring your A game. So he's going to need all that. Because Laban is put there for a purpose. He's going to prove to be the instrument of divine chastening and blessing. And, and folks, I want to make a little point here, which there's not a lot of time to labor, but a lot of times we separate those two concepts, and we, I do it. Why? Hebrews tells us this. No chasing for the present seems to be joyous. 
It's not a happy thing. So we tend to separate it. We tend to regard chastening as negative, discipline as negative, and we, we kind of tend to think, well, we're on the outs with God, so God had to chasten us. Not necessarily. I mean, you might, but you might also just be God needing to knock some rough edges off and develop you more into the person that he wants you to be for his service. That's why it's a mistake always to kind of see them as separate and competing and opposite concepts. Sometimes the trials and the chastening that God brings into our lives, he does so that he can bring to us the next blessing or to bring to us a blessing or more blessing. And I think that's really what it's talking about in uh, John 15, isn't it? When it says, every branch in me that beareth fruit, he pruneth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. This is just how part of how God works. But boy, You know, if I had to stand in line for people to get, I would have chose somebody besides Laban. Now, what does Laban do? You talk about having met your match. You talk about this guy being on an equal footing with his his sister. He pulls off these three things. He substitutes the older for the younger. Look at chapter 27, verse 19. Or chapter, what did I put? I think we want 29. Um, yeah, 29 is what I'm after. So if make that change, I'm sorry about that. Uh, Laban said, it is better. Wait a minute. 23. Now I think what I want. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, here, here we go. 23. I want verse 23 here in the chapter. I it confused myself. All right, so looky here. Verse 23 in the chapter 29, But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and went in, Jacob went into her. Substitutes the older for the younger. So we do have this right. Had that happened before? Yeah, that's what chapter 27 and verse 19, which is the correct reference, is all about. Jacob said to his father, well, this is after Esau, or Isaac says, Who are you, my? And he says, I am Esau, your firstborn. Did we talk last week about you reap what you sow, more than you sow, later than you sow? Look at this. He deceives the deceiver. Now, you've got to go some to do this. Verse 25, in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? <clears throat> so he's met somebody who can out Jacob Jacob. Chapter 27, verse 36, this is Esau's pitiful moan. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me, he's deceived me. The heel snatcher, these two times. And I think also, can you just imagine how those words must have haunted Jacob? When he says in verse 26, this is his lame excuse. He says, well, it's not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. But that's exactly what Jacob did. So, I kind of feel for Jacob, I mean... Yeah, on the one side, he deserves every lick he gets. You could, you could make that statement, but wow, did he get a dose of chastening 
did he get a dose of eye-opening medicine right here? The thing of it is, it's just the first dose. He's going to be 20 years in Laban's school of hard knocks. And he even comments on that. Verse 31, or chapter 31, verse 38. He even comments when he says, To Laban, these 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. And he went, goes on and describes all the stuff that he's been through at the hands of Laban. He changed my wages ten times, all of this stuff. Yeah, he's going to learn a little something. But I'm not pointing any fingers. All of us have a bunch of rough edges God needs to knock off to use us the way he really wants to. But you see here, this is where, and I want to end this point by saying this, this is where you see a profound difference between Esau and Jacob. Esau doesn't have this within him because Esau was not a converted man. Esau was a profane man, an immoral man. But Jacob's got the stuff to stay by it. He's got this commitment to God's promise and to God's covenant. He's always wanted it, and even if he didn't use some of the best methods in the beginning, he endures, which he proves not only his love for Rachel, and by the way, for the Romantics, it's hard to find a better verse than this. Verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. I don't, I don't think you take that at anything other than face value. He loved that woman, and he put his heart into those seven years because he desperately wanted her to be his wife, and he loved her. If you go over to 1 Corinthians 13, isn't that what you read? Love endures all things. So, hopeth all things, believeth all things and then endureth all things. Point in there I missed. But, you know, this is the difference between someone who's a converted person and someone who's not. You know, it, it, the theologians would talk about it as the preservation of the saints or the perseverance of the saints. But, you know, God is going to work in our lives as his children. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's going on through our whole existence. And sometimes we're kicking against the pricks, right? Because we don't like where God has put us and what God is doing in our lives. God's doing something good. We have to, by faith, accept and believe that. We also have to, in some humility, take our medicine when we need it when it's deserved. So, <laughs> God has a purpose. Here's our last thought for today, Jacob and the home. Well, there's a lot we could do here, we, we just don't have the time. But, that's a big important thing in life too. I mean, you know, it, another place you can blow it, or you can do it right. This is, I just put it this way, now he meets life. Because what he finds out is, is that no two people are perfect in a marriage. And so, no matter how romantic the beginning is, you still have to live life. 
and trials are going to come your way, and how are you going to face those, two, those trials as a team? How are you going to respond to those things? Because that's where friction sometimes comes in, problems sometimes come in, and we all need to depend on God's grace, and we all need an extra dose of humility as we go along. We all need to learn how to say, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. So, what's he going to have to deal with here? Well, I've, I've just put it this way to you. Um, it says in verse 30, the last part, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. I think when that verse tells us that he loved Rachel more than Leah, it's explaining to us what it meant, means in verse 31 when it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated. I don't think he hated her. I think when you see contextually a reason, now I will tell you this, the word translated here, hate, just as it occurs in the verse where it says, Jacob have I loved, Esau has I, have I hated. That word for hate, in other contexts, that's exactly what it means. It means to, to regard with antipathy, to despise, to hate. I don't think that's what it was saying about God, and I don't think that's what it was saying about Jacob. I don't think he regarded her with antipathy and despised her at all. I just think he loved Rachel more to the point that Leah felt, and this is what's going on with Esau, Esau was rejected. And this is how Leah felt. Now, folks, if there's anything heartrending, I want you to think about this. How would you like to be caught up in this situation? Now, on the other side, it is true She's partially to blame in this, right? I mean, she did go along with this scheme. Now, when you've got a father like Laban, how much choice did she have? I'm not sure. But, I mean, she did get caught up in this thing, and she did play that role. So, this is what I'm trying to say. The outcome of this is predictable. And I, I have to ask this question that I put to you here. Who is Laban really thinking about? Is he really trying to do what's in the best interest? I mean, is he really thinking about, well, the, the, the custom is that the older should marry first, so we don't want to hurt her feelings or whatever. Or did it have something to do with verse 17 where it says she had weak eyes, but Rachel was beautiful, of form and, form and face. Rachel had it all. What that's saying to us is sort of like I was telling you about what it says about when we read that about Joseph. Joseph was good-looking, and he... I use the horse illustration. He had good confirmation. Same thing that this is saying here. In form and face. So she had a nice figure. She had a, a beautiful face. She had it all. What does this mean when it says that Leah had weak eyes? I tell you, folks, in all the years that I've read this and studied the Bible, I've tried to figure that out. And the best I can really come up with is this. It either means, because you can look at what this word means in different contexts and all that kind of thing. I think, maybe you'll come up with better insight, but I think it either means that she had weak eyes in the sense of poor vision, or it just means that she had weak eyes in the sense that dull color, weak color. So that if that's the right idea, or maybe both are true, if she's got lackluster color, 
to her eyes. I'm just trying to be unkind here. I'm just saying it would have made her maybe less impressive because if you've got Rachel showing up there and she's got sparkling eyes and a beautiful face and, and all the rest, well, Le- Leah was a little disadvantaged. But as smart as Laban was, I still have to go back and ask this question. Didn't he know what the result of this was going to be the next morning? Didn't he know the seeds that he was sowing for that marriage and the the predictable outcome of it? That there would be tension in that home that Rachel Rachel would always be his favored wife. That's the girl he worked the seven years for. And again, I think you have to take your hat off to Jacob. I mean, he follows through. He works another seven years. He doesn't have to work seven years to get Rachel. He gets Rachel at the end of the first honeymoon week. So he's got two in a row. Busy fella. But he still puts his time in. He doesn't blow his stack. But that partiality that was in that home because he loved her more, it was destructive. And it was as destructive in that home. We're going to see this play out in in ensuing chapters. But it was as destructive in that home as it had been in the home he came from. Where his mother favored him and his father favored his brother. Remember? That's what 25-28... He'd seen it before, and now he's got it again. And I don't know how much he learned from it or didn't learn from it. I'm not going to sit in judgment. I'm just going to say it's not good. But, at least for now, let's end on a positive note. You know, Leah's a real bright spot here. When you think about the heart-rending distress, she calls that out. Verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb but Rachel was barren, he saw. When the Lord saw, don't miss that. The Lord saw. He always sees what's going on. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, which means see a son. It commemorated the fact that God saw that affliction. She said, the Lord has looked or seen my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bare a son. All these names have a significance. Because the Lord has heard that I am hated. Heard is what you want to notice there because Simeon's name comes from the Hebrew verb to hear. So she commemorated the fact that God has heard that I'm rejected, that I'm not preferred, hated, if you want to call it that. Again, she conceived and bore a son. Now this time my husband will, notice the future tense, will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons, therefore his name was called Levi, so that means joined or attached. And she conceived again, and I'll notice another future tense here, she conceived again and bore a son, she said this time, I will praise the Lord. When you put all this together, I think you have what I tried to give you at the end there. In in the midst of dealing with heart-rending distress, she displays faith, hope, and eventual commitment, she says, I will praise, as seen in the names of her sons. I don't have time to do any more with them we'll over now, but let me just read you these last points. There are two things we could talk about and take away, but we don't have time now. But anytime God works in conversion, he follows it with consecration. That's just how it works, and that's what's working out in the life of Jacob. And secondly, I mentioned before, God's goodness and God's chastening are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Why is that? 
Because in the moment, all discipline seems painful, but afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness in those who are exercised or trained by it. Father, bless us as we go our way now to fellowship between these services and then in the one to follow, would you bless our pastor as he speaks to us and may our hearts continue to be open to the word of God in this day. In Jesus' name, amen.